Thank you to all the Patreons, the patrons who are supporting us and supporting the ministry. It's actually your support that's given me the capacity to be able to prepare and create content and set time aside to commit to uh, deeper level Bible studies. But today, what we're here to do is, is we're here to do the read and rant. We're here to engage in the read and rant. And essentially what we do here is, is we just spend time in the study of the word. We're spending time, not sorry, not, not in the study of the word, sorry, but in the meditation of the word. This isn't a Bible study more than it is a meditation of scripture where we're just seeking to hear from God as we read through scripture. While there are elements of study in what we do, um, the goal, the priority here is just to spend some time in the presence of God in the reading of his scripture because the word itself is powerful and reading the word alone is a powerful activity. It is a profoundly uh, transformative activity, just the reading of the word. Um, because again, in the reading of the word, it's, it is a spiritual endeavor. It's a spiritual activity. Something is happening spiritually when you read the word. And so that's what we're coming to do. We're coming to eat the word today. We're coming to eat the word, to partake in the word of God. And you guys get to do this and participate with me as well. There are people from all over the world who are participating live with us right now on all the various platforms um, to come together. So it's morning for some of you. It's evening for some others. It's lunchtime for some of you. I just want to say for all of you who are here, welcome. Welcome. And some of you will be listening to this on the podcast later on down the line. Some of you, because you're patrons, you'll get to hear it later on uh, today since you guys have access to the Patreon. Um, but this is going to be available to you on the podcast probably in the next few weeks. So anyway, subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast if you want if you want to catch up. We have been journeying through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and now we're getting to the tail end of 1 Kings. And so that's what we're coming to do today. We're going to read 1 Kings chapter 20. And the, two, the three questions that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? I want you to pray that. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second thing that I want you to pray about is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? Let's dig in. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for uh, providing us, Lord, with Lord, the facility to be able to come together from all around the world to read your word, Father. We thank you. Um, we thank you for all that you're doing, even in this moment. Bless us in this time as we engage in your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that in this engagement, we'd receive a transference of your spirit, Father. Lord, bless us, Lord, today. Lord, reveal to us, Lord, give us revelation, Lord, as we engage in your word. And we ask that in your name, we pray, amen. First Kings chapter 20. Let's get right to it, fam. Now, Ben-Hadad was, sorry. Now, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. 32 kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and your children 
are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, my Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messengers came back and said, thus says Ben-Hadad saying, indeed, I have sent to you saying, you shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent for me, so he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. Therefore, he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my lord, the king, all that you sent for to your servants for the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad said to him, the gods do so to me. And more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Suddenly, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today and you shall know that I am the Lord. And, it, and so Ahab said, by whom? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he said, and he answered you. Then he mustered the young elders of the provinces and there were 232 and after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. Then the young leaders of the provinces went first and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. And they told him saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive and the young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed him and each one killed his man so the syrians fled and israel pursued them and ben hadad the king of israel escaped on a horse with the cavalry then the king of israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the syrians with a great slaughter and the prophet came to the king of israel and said to him go strengthen yourself take note and see what you should do for in the spring of the year of the king of syria the king of syria will come up against you hmm. then the servants of the king of syria said to him their gods are god are gods of the hills therefore they were stronger than we but if we fight against them in the plain surely we will be stronger than they so do this thing dismiss the kings each from his position and put captains in their places and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost horse for horse and chariot for chariot then we will fight against them in the plain surely we will be stronger than they hmm. so it was in the spring of the year that ben-hadad mustered the syrians and went up to Ephek to fight against israel 
And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like the two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they camped opposite each other for seven days. So it was on the seventh day, the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrian in one day. But the rest fled to Ephek into the city when the, when a wall fell on 20,000 of the men who were left and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Then his servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the king of the house, the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put a sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore a sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben Hadad said, Please let me live. And he said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at his at this word and said, your brother, Ben-Hadad. So he said, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came to him and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father, I will destroy. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Now, a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. Goodness. And he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicted a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now, as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, your servant went out into the midst of the battle and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king said to him, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eye, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore you shall go for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. Hmm. Chapter 21. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. 
next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have, have it for, for a veg vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. For it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on the bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezreel, sorry, but Jezebel, sorry, his wife came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, because I have spoken to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth. <clears throat> Sorry, in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, you have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who were inhabitants of the city did as Jezebel had sent them, had sent to them as it was written in the letters, which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people and two men scoundrels came in and sat before him and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people saying Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Sorry, to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is, in the vineyard of Naboth, where he had gone to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, the dog shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you 
I will take away your posterity and I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. <laughs> the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat of whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Hmm. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring calamity on his house. Hmm. Ahab, Ahab. Chapter 22. Now, three years passed without war being between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord will deliver deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. <laughs> and the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imla quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they destroy you. And all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger who had gone up against Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophet with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. 
And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And he came to the king and said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he said to him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on the right hand and, in, and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before him and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in, in, what, in what way? So he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Goodness gracious. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets and yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, Joash the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Oh, my goodness. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on the robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now, certain men drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And he said to the driver of the chariot, turn us, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. The battle increased that day. And the king was propped up in the chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went out from with the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died 
and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house, which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers and, and Ahaziah, his son reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat made, sorry, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of Asa, he banished from the land, and there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Josephat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Josephat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Josephat would not. And Josephat rested with his fathers and buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Joram, his son reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil on the side of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God to Israel. Uh, Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. The word of God for us today. Father, speak to us. Lord, there's so much here. Give us insight. Give us clarity. Speak to us um, as we engage in your word. Um. I'm going to preface all of this by, by saying that this is this is weeks of teaching and preaching, but we just read in these three chapters. There are so many uh, facets to this scripture and so many facets to the text. There's a multiplicity of dimensions to what's actually uh, being articulated here. Um, there's a lot here in the text and it's there's a a width to it there's a depth to it and there's a breadth to it and so if i were to sit here and try to prepare this in a way for you to understand every dimension of what's happening in this text we would be here probably till next week so i'm not going to do that that's not where i want to go today um, as we spend time in the reading of the word, more specifically, what I want to do is, is, as you guys know, as I come here to read with you guys, I don't 
I, I don't have any agenda. I don't have anything here uh, prepared. I'm simply going as the spirit leads um, in my discipline in the reading of the word. This is the regular activity that I believe for every believer is to spend time in the reading of God's word. Um, you don't have to understand everything you've read, but simply sit down and eat it. Spend, sit down, sit down and just read the word, engage in the word, because that alone feeds your soul. You don't have to necessarily understand everything you're reading, even understanding very little of what you're reading. And yet the activity of reading the word is profoundly formative. It's profoundly formative. It shapes you. It strengthens you. It forms you. And so I want to encourage you to continue to do that. We have been reading through the entire scripture. There are those of you who've been with us from the beginning where we've read from the New Testament, from Matthew all the way to Revelation to now reading from Genesis all the way to 1 Kings 22. Now we've gone to 1 Kings 22. Um, what we read in the New Testament was really a coming to fruition of what we uh, what was anticipated from the Old Testament. It's a story. The, the Bible is codified in a way to share and to articulate a story. And so we've been reading this story and what I hope you guys have been paying attention to. And if you if this is your first time here or maybe you you haven't been at the past, maybe five or six read and rants or maybe you missed a couple of these books. I want to encourage you to go back to the read and rant podcast and to catch them because I'm going to assume you already got this part. But the little cliff note version of this is that this is about the kingdom. This is about the, the story. The, the story of the scriptures is about God making things right in humanity. Because if God is making things right in humanity, God will make things right on the earth. Understand that the destiny of the earth rested on humanity. When he told, he told mankind to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, he told mankind to subdue it to rule it. The language there is dominion. He called mankind to rule over the earth. The moment you hear rule, you have to automatically hear kingdom is that mankind represents the government of God. Mankind represents how God governs the earth, the government of the earth. God has established the earth with physical laws, but these physical laws are deeply intertwined with spiritual laws, that there's spiritual realities that emanate out into the physical. And yet these physical realities are manifestations of these spiritual realities, that this dominion that God gives mankind reflects that when we serve the law of God, the character of God, the heart of God, then what we see is a flourishing of the earth. The earth flourishes because that's God's intention for the earth is to see the earth flourish and the flourishing of the earth comes out of the rule and the government of God, the governing of God. If we choose now to rule in another way with a different agenda and with a different mindset, then that leads to pain, suffering, disease, hurt, everything that we see. So what is broken on the earth today? is a result of mankind's deviation from the law of God, the government of God, the heart of God, the character of God. In the better word, there is the justice of God. This is why it is not, you shouldn't find it awkward to know that in the Greek and the Hebrew text, that the word justice and the word righteousness are both the same word. Because there cannot be righteousness without justice and there cannot be justice without righteousness. And yet if there's justice, that means there is a law.
And if there's a law, that means there's a government. And if there's a government, there's one that rules it. God rules. And in consequence of God ruling, he initiates and instigates mankind. He ordains mankind to rule the earth. The other provocative statement that I'll give, and then we're going to get to our point here, is the other provocative statement is, is that if mankind rules, he's ruling under the permission of God. But because God places his word above himself, right? That's in, that's in Psalms, that God places his word above himself by virtue of his character, God does nothing on the earth without human participation because God, even though he is all powerful, he willingly chooses to limit himself through mankind. That's why he had to come through mankind to reinstitute his justice. It's part of the reason why Jesus became man. The reason why Jesus had to become human is because God cannot do anything on the earth without human interaction, without human participation. God actually needs human cooperation and collaboration. And so if God now is going to institute, that's why sometimes when people think about God, sometimes they think, well, God is all powerful. He can do anything on the earth. God can do anything on the earth, but God will not do anything on the earth without human beings, without human interaction, without human participation. Therefore, if there will be justice on the earth, it will be through humanity. It will be through mankind. And so if mankind then deviates, then what God needs to do to restore the destiny of the earth is to restore human beings. Is everybody catching where I'm at here? If God's going to restore things on the earth, then he's going to restore it through human beings. Yes, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, fill the earth, subdue it because he placed himself in humanity. And now he told humanity to have dominion to subdue the earth, meaning he wanted to cover the earth with his government. He wanted to cover the earth with his rule. He wanted to cover the earth with his law. And so... Because mankind has deviated from the law of God, from the heart of God, from the rule of God, by virtue of the spirit, man being separate from God, led to all that is broken and all that is hurt in the world. So now what God is doing is, is he has to reconcile us back into him and so, in order for his rule to be established on earth. Why does all this matter? All this matters is because this is, if I can put it into one word or into one phrase, the entire biblical text is about the kingdom of God. The entire biblical text is about the kingdom of God. And wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. Go back again through our uh, cliff note <laughs> uh, presentation that I'm giving right now and go back and read through the reading rants that we've talked about before. But we should see is a story of God bringing his kingdom to a particular place to show the world what God's rule looks like through a people that he's chosen and set aside, the children of Israel. He gave them a law to make them distinct, to show what God was like and what his kingdom would be like and how he would rule. They would rule, but in the end, they failed over and over again. We see evidence of that, and we're going to continue to see evidence of that throughout the Old Testament, that the story is not about the chosen people being chosen to have power over others, but the people who God chose not being able to be the agents and the, 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 the kingdom, the nation of priests that he called to make things right in the world. And yet it is through Abraham. 
It is through Isaac. It is through Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, that he chooses a people. And through Judah, through David, there would come a king. The promise that was made in 2 Samuel 7, there would be a king. There would be a king. And there's anything you want to get from the book of Kings, both 1 Kings and 2 Kings. If there's anything you should get, because I know sometimes the Bible can be confusing for people. And they can say, well, what's the point of this? I'm trying to understand this. I hope I'm giving you the picture here that what the scripture is about is how God is, 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 is um, ushering in his kingdom through a people for the reconciliation of all humanity and all human beings. He's making things right. And then in first seconds, sorry, in, in, in second Samuel chapter seven, David wants to build a temple for the Lord. And God says to David, I will make you a temple. And there is a king that is to come who will save all of humanity. This king is the one that would make all things right. And he would come from David, from the line of David. That's the promise. So then what is the book of first Kings and second Kings about first Kings and second Kings are actually just one book. We split them up. Okay. We split them up, but they're actually just one book. Okay. And where we split them up is in a really awkward place. I don't even know why we split up the book in that place. Okay. This is a weird, awkward place for us to split it. But again, that's how it was split. But the book of Kings, first Kings and second Kings is really a book to tell you that these aren't the Kings. Solomon, as much as God gave him the gift of wisdom, Solomon fell, fell profoundly short of being the king that would make things right. And after Solomon, we see his two sons break out. Sorry, not his two sons. I take that back. After we see Solomon, we see his son, right, who became king over Judah because of Solomon's sin. Israel is split. His son becomes king over Judah and the son of Absalom, the other son of David, had a son. And now he becomes king over the northern region, Israel. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem, where the temple was, where Solomon built the temple. The capital of Israel is Samaria. And we see two kings. We see now two lineage, two lines of kings. We see the line of Israel and the line of Judah. Um, the line of Israel came from Absalom's line of kings and the line of Judah came from David's Solomon's line of kings, two sons of David. And I, tell, I remember saying this before, but it's kind of a, uh, you, you, you sort of see an Ishmael and Isaac dynamic there, right? Ishmael, even though he was first, Ishmael wasn't promised. And so Ishmael is not the son of the covenant. Um, Isaac was. And so, so now you've got Solomon and you have two nations, two kingdoms. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because what, what you guys should see throughout the story as we've been reading it, what you guys should see is, is you should see, this is a story and notice what's happening, especially in, you're going to see this over the next maybe eight, nine, 10 chapters. You're going to see, they're going to talk about a king of Israel. Then they're going to talk about a king of Judah. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. A king of Israel, a king of Judah. A king of Israel, king of Judah. A king of Israel, king of Judah. And what this text is telling us is that they're just not it. They're just not it. But what's peculiar and interesting about this part, and if you just give me a few minutes, because I don't have, and we're going to still keep coming here. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to still keep, 
we're going to keep working through this. Okay. Cause again, most, most people, we, we read the Bible wrong. So, so we kind of read it with like this really myopic perspective. We're not looking at the big picture. We're not looking at the big picture. So let's have the big picture in mind. So we see Kings, the lines of Israel and the lines of the Kings of Judah. Chronicles are written about the lines of the Kings of Israel, which the Bible keeps referring to. These were all written in the Chronicles of the lines of Kings of Israel. And then we see all the Kings of Judah and the lines of the Kings of Judah. A few of the ones from Judah are, you know, they're good, but in the end, they're not good enough. And then the lines of Israel, none of them are good enough. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But this particular part of the text. These, these, these last five chapters are interesting because while the Bible kind of gives you half a chapter for each king, this particular king gets a lot of time. This king gets a lot of time. Ahab. It says that there was no king more evil than Ahab. Ahab was this evil king. He was evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. King of Israel on the north side, right? His capital is Samaria. And Ahab is this evil king. And 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 see, when you think of an evil king, what do you think of? You think of someone who's just sinister and wicked. And you think of someone who's, you know, who's who's I mean, he's just bloodthirsty. And you think of someone who's, you know, um, just 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 the worst type of the worst you're thinking of like serial killers and and you know um you're thinking about serial killers and like you know death row and and all that good stuff that's what comes to your mind when you think of someone who's evil there's no one more evil than ahab we read about some evil kings up to this point who've done some really evil things right tyrannical yeah you think of all these things but I hope maybe this is changing your perspective because we've been reading now about Ahab and Ahab doesn't really sound like any of that. He doesn't sound like this bloodthirsty guy. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading a different Bible. Maybe I'm reading something different. Maybe you guys saw something I didn't see. But as I'm reading it, I, I don't see the guy that I would imagine is this bloodthirsty, sinister, tyrannical, I love it like that, tyrannical king. Go back and read it. Maybe you caught something that I don't see that. Ahab is evil, but this evil that is so profoundly evil is not the kind of evil that we would think is evil. And yet the Lord says that this man is evil beyond the other kings. This is, there's no one more evil than Ahab. So what made Ahab so evil? Ahab was evil. There's one thing that I noticed about Ahab. And as we've been reading about Ahab, is Ahab is a compromiser. He almost seems like a coward. He's kind of this compromising king who doesn't really stand for anything. 
He kind of just goes with the flow. You know, Jezebel, I guess I'll marry this woman. She seems nice. Forget about what he stands. He, he doesn't seem to stand for anything. If anything, all Ahab really stands for is himself. I'm reading this, and, and Ahab doesn't seem like this bloodthirsty, vindicative, you know, tyrannical king. Ahab actually seems pretty weak. Ahab is kind of silent. He doesn't really stand for anything. He's a man who has very little conviction. He gets kind of just whatever's cool is cool. And so this Ahab guy and this evil and now what we what we just read is we read basically his 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 life because we see we just read the last chapter where he dies and there's so much by the way and I'm trying to really keep it in but 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 if there's anything that's really sticking out to me in this text is Ahab's evil is his compromise. This this weakness that I'm talking about, brother, and this weakness that I'm talking about, sister, is not, not, not meekness. Because sometimes we think of meekness as weakness. No, 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 no. We're not talking about weakness. We're not talking about the strength of the Lord being perfected in our weakness. I'm talking about a weakness of conviction. I'm talking about a weakness in which uh, he just kind of goes with the stream. He doesn't stand for anything. Ahab's evil and the one that God finds even most evil is, is his lack of conviction. He just had, he just, and he's the king of Israel called to lead the children of Israel and to lead this nation of people to bring the righteousness and justice of God. And God's like, you want me to execute my righteousness through this guy? No, no, no. We, we think of evil as a, sinning a lot. We never think of evil as, 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 as being superimposed and juxtaposed against or juxtapositioned to the righteousness and the justice of God. When we think of evil, we think of evil as doing bad things. But we don't think of evil as simply not standing up for anything. I think we have a day and age today where we're okay with people standing on their own truth and their own thing and their own idea. And you know, I'm going to live my life and do what's best for me. And you know what? Forget whatever's happening over here and forget what's, what's happening over there. I'm just going to just live in my little bubble and do my own thing. And that's okay. If I just, you know what? It's whatever. And I know, you know, I want to date this guy and I, you know, he's not really a Christian, but he's at least a nice guy. And, and, you know what? I, I love this woman and she's beautiful, but I know she doesn't have any conviction about her faith in Jesus. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I mean, but, you know, but, but we're okay. So, so what's wrong with that? And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I guess you have your truth and, and that person has their truth and, and you have your thing and I have my thing. And, you know, it's, it's okay. As long as, as long as you don't get in my way, you know what I mean? As long as, as long as you're not affecting me, you know, it's whatever and and so what happens is is that we become a people with no conviction who keep a blind eye to what's happening around us as long as we're able to preserve our own present reality 
There are too many of us who live lives of self-preservation, not caring at all about the destiny of God and the justice and the righteousness of God. We care about our own politics and our own policy and and we care about what's okay for us and what's right for us and and what works best for us you know you got republicans who who think about what's best for them and then you have the democrats who who want to think about what works best for them and and one ideology over the other ideology and which one fits and which one doesn't fit and so we live in this own reality and we, we talk about racism but we almost want to disconnect ourselves from it like you know it doesn't really affect me and at least i'm not racist so if I'm not racist, then that's okay. I know there's other racist people, but at least I'm not racist. Or we see other people who are suffering and in pain. And, well, you know, I didn't cause that, and and I didn't do that to that person. So because I didn't do that, then it's so you know it's it's whatever. You know, I and so we live a life where we've we, 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 we're, we're we're administrating a blind eye to those that are around us to what we see, knowing that there's injustice and in righteousness and, and, and no righteousness, and yet we stay quiet and silent we have no conviction we don't stand up for anything and even when it comes to our faith it's okay if you believe this brand of of christianity and you know what you can live whatever way you want to live and it's okay if you want to live your thing and you know what? that's your truth so so live your truth and it's okay if you have your your brand of jesus and it's okay if you have your brand of faith and it's okay if you have, and so we live this life where we become the Ahabs of the present day. We spend so much time talking about Jezebel. We spend so much time talking about Jezebel. And oh, we can talk about Jezebel. There's so much here. If I sat and if we do Bible study on Jezebel, man, oh man, oh man. We can talk all day. I want to say one thing about Jezebel, and then I'm going to explain to you why this is important. Because there are a lot of us who still have Jezebel wrong. I'm explaining to you what I mean by that. We talk about the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. And we often, um, we have a way of talking about the spirit of Jezebel in such a mystical way in such a with so much mysticism to it that we don't understand what the spirit of Jezebel is. <laughs> Goes back to why so much time is spent on this particular king. Because Jezebel, who Ahab marries, Jezebel is operating under a spirit. But here's the thing. We've been reading about Jezebel. Where did you see the spirit of Jezebel anywhere here? We popularize the spirit of Jezebel in the text. The scriptures just tell us about Jezebel. Now, once we understand the spirit that governs Jezebel, because we often talk about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. And so immediately when we talk about the spirit of Jezebel, people think it's some kind of demon. It's a demon or some type of spirit that you know, some intelligent spirit that comes on them and 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 now that spirit of Jezebel comes in people and it comes in people. No. No, that's why I need to make sure I, I make this clear. We, we, we have a mysticism to Jezebel that leads people to think, oh my gosh, I hope I don't catch that spirit. And I hope I don't invite that spirit. And I hope that spirit doesn't come in me. Let me help you out, family. 
The spirit of Jezebel. First of all, we don't know what spirits are. There are spiritual beings and there are spirits. There's a difference. You know, you know what? I might add that to my Patreon as well. I might add that to my Patreon. We're going to do a Bible. We, we may just need to do a Bible study on the spiritual realm and on spirits. Because a lot of people have this misunderstanding about spirits and spiritual beings. The Elohim, these are the spiritual beings. Spiritual beings can be demons. There are spiritual beings that exist that are angels. There are different types of angels and geology. These things teach about these things. These are spiritual beings. Do not confuse a spiritual being with a spirit. A spirit is an intelligent system. The spirit is an intelligent system. It's an intelligent system of thought and of living. That's what a spirit is. So you don't catch a spirit. You submit to a spirit. The spirit of God. That's why there's a difference. I want to make sure you understand. That's why the scriptures make a distinction between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God. That's why the scriptures tell us about the spirit of grace. Sometimes you go, oh, is the spirit of grace the Holy Spirit? Yes, but not in the way that you think. There are spirits and there are spiritual beings. So the spirit of Jezebel is not Jezebel's spirit that goes on people. Because if some people go, oh, you got the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel's spirit is on me? No. You have the spirit of Jezebel. It is an intelligent system that governs a way to live, to be, to act, and to walk, and to talk. It's a way of living. A spirit is a system of thought, a system of living, a system of being that governs every decision that you make. That's why you can be governed by a spirit. That's why people need spiritual breakthrough, because there are spirits that have taken hold on you that have influenced you to live a certain way when you need to be broken from that spirit. Does anybody understand that? Now, someone can be possessed by a spirit. Possession, that's why demonic possession is a whole different thing than being than having the spirit of Jezebel. Ready for this? Christians can have the spirit of Jezebel. And yet there's no demon in them. They're not possessed by a demon. They just have the spirit of Jezebel that governs them. And if you want to learn what the spirit of Jezebel is, it is what we see in how Jezebel moves and how Jezebel acts and how Jezebel talks and how she lives and how she governs and how she wields her influence and her power because Jezebel has no power. She wields all her power under the name of Ahab. I only say it to say this. Ahab. Yeah, so in short, a spirit is a mindset. Boom. Let's let's demystify spirits. <laughs> a spirit is a mindset. So the Jezebel spirit is the mindset of Jezebel. And there's more to it than that, but I that's just to give you a simple way of understanding it. Um, no, she doesn't have to be a woman. Actually, there's other people who have the spirit of Jezebel in the scriptures. The, the Bible tells us that, um, that whole churches, entire communities can have the spirit of Jezebel. Go back to uh, Revelations chapter 2. Read about it. It's not a woman thing. 
That's why it's not. That's why the spirit of Jezebel is not Jezebel's spirit. We just don't have a name for that spirit because we don't have a name for that spirit. We've attached with that spirit that is governed the way Jezebel acts, lives, that mindset that she has. We call it the spirit of Jezebel. But no, it is not a female spirit. As a matter of fact, ooh, that's another conversation when we come when we talk about genders. It's not a female spirit. There are plenty of men who have the Jezebel spirit. Actually, you can say there are more men who have the Jezebel spirit than women. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, what's convicting me today, though, family, is that Ahab has been given authority. Ahab has authority over Israel to be the king who would institute the righteousness of God. But the fact that he's a compromiser brought in Jezebel and now Jezebel governs his life and not him. Jezebel governs his life and not him. And I think about this often for our believers today. And for those of you who are watching right now to ask yourself this, are you a compromiser? of the call of God, the justice of God. Have you been compromising as a church? And no, do not think I'm just talking about, oh, good living, not sleeping around. I'm talking about even the matters which you know are right and wrong. Are you speaking on these things? Because if there's anything you see about Ahab, Ahab has had plenty of prophets come to him, and yet Ahab never changes. He keeps repenting and repenting, but he has no position. Ahab is such a coward that even when he went to war, he didn't even put on his kingly garb. He couldn't even be what he was called to be. He's a coward. He dressed up like every other soldier. There was no shepherd in Israel. Everyone went in his own direction. The prophet prophesied this. There's so much to unpack about Ahab. Ahab knows he ain't right. So much so that even when the prophet gave him a word that that might have been a word he wanted to hear, he knew that that wasn't the word and asked the prophet in, in his own discerning of his own life and knowing where he was. And that's the thing about the text and so much to unpack from this text. But when Micaiah came to him and gave him what he wanted to hear, he had enough conviction to say, that's what you you're just telling me what every other prophet has told me. But I know deep down inside, it doesn't align with what's going on in my spirit. I ask this question to those of us who are of the faith, and maybe we need to go back to Revelations chapter two and ask ourselves, have we become the Ahabs that have invited the spirit of Jezebel into our life? Have we become such compromisers that we've become the ones who have allowed Jezebel to actually wield and manipulate our destinies. Have we become such compromisers in the church? I'm talking about, I'm talking about the liberal church that lets any kind of doctrine come in that you stand on nothing. And now Jezebel has taken over your church. And I'm also talking about the hyper conservative church where you have equated your faith in Jesus to the flag of the United States of America. 
And when you see people who are poor, broken and hurting, that you feel like every man should do what's best for themselves. And so you keep a blind eye to injustice. No, no, no. You want to hear what you want to hear. And you take the word from the prophet that you want to hear. But my question is, are you really hearing from God? Or are you hearing from the false prophets? We need to get out of our own politics and our own political thinking and our own righteousness and our own religiosity. And to ask ourselves first, have we been compromising in our relationship with God? Have we been compromising on what God's word says about me? Have we been compromising on what we know very well is the justice and the righteousness of God? Have we been compromising off of what we know is right and wrong and just kept a blind eye to it? Because if we have, then we may have become the Ahabs of our present day. And so, Lord, I ask today that you would Lord, give us grace today. Have we become the Ahabs, Lord? And if we have, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would do the reconciling work in us. I'm encouraged even as I pray this prayer, even in this moment, Father, Lord, that even when Ahab was found to be guilty, Father, you gave him an opportunity for repentance. At the end of 1 Kings, we read in verse 21 how Ahab had humbled himself before the Lord. And because he humbled himself, the Lord said that he will not bring calamity in his days. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us grace. Lord, allow us, Lord, to, to be humbled before you, Father. Lord, that you would give us grace, Lord. Yes, you resist the proud, but you you said in your word that you give grace to the humble. So, Father, give us grace today. Lord, if we've kept a blind eye, if we have not spoken where we should speak, if we have not exercised power when we, where we should have power, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you do not bring calamity to our house, but, Lord, give us an opportunity once more, Lord, to step up and to be who you've called us to be to bring righteousness and justice, to usher in your kingdom. For we know, Lord, that you are coming, Lord, to establish your throne on earth, that we may be found doing what you have called us to do. Not just go to church, not just read Bibles, not just talk about you, but Lord, to be your government on earth this government that you are establishing. So bless us, Father. Give us boldness by your spirit, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that you would loose the spirit of Jezebel over each and every one of us who have become compromisers in our life. Loose the spirit of Jezebel that has sought after to overtake us and to manipulate us into doing what we believe is right. But Father, I pray right now that in this spirit and in this place of repentance that, Lord, you would, you would, Lord, set us free. Lord, from destructive thoughts toxic behaviors and mindsets. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.